0: Well, we've been covering uh, some ground over the last few weeks, if you've been here. We were thinking on the great subject of the Lord's resurrection, even though I spoke on it after Easter. Yet I always rejoice that the Lord is alive. And then, uh, last Sunday night, we were thinking... probably the the greatest promise in the Bible I will never leave thee nor forsake thee and we saw how the amplified New Testament brings out the the riches of the the Greek language and we saw all the intensified negatives uh, in the Greek language that brings out just how powerful that verse is I will never, never leave thee I will never, never forsake thee. And this evening, we're going to delve a wee bit into eschatology. That's a fancy name for the doctrine of the last things, Bible prophecy. And then, next, under the Lord willing, we are going to conclude by looking at Islam. And someone has said, and I want you to listen very carefully, someone has said that there is every possibility that in years to come, Islam will be the leading religious denomination of Great Britain. So he put us a possibility, but that is very, very serious. Every possibility that in years to come, Islam could be the main religious denomination in Britain. And next Sunday, the Lord willing, we're going to have a look at the five pillars of Islam. And then we're going to have a look at what Islam believes and teaches concerning the person of our blessed Lord. And I shall have my Koran with me next Sunday. I've got a copy. Have you got a copy? I've got a copy. <laughs> and I'll be here next Sunday. And that's the subject next Sunday, Islam. I had a phone call just recently from a church secretary asking me to come along and speak on this very theme. Christians need to wake up. And churches need to wake up as to uh, Islam. So that's the subject, the Lord willing, next Sunday. Remember me in prayer, because sometimes when you're dealing with these sort of subjects, uh, the, devil, the devil doesn't like it, and he would seek to attack the preacher. But thank God, I'm onto the blood, and we have the victory in his name. Now, I, ha- I wonder, have you heard the story of the preacher who was going to preach in a certain church on Bible prophecy. He was going to preach on that great verse in 1 Corinthians 15: the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, from in 1 Corinthians 15. And there happened to be in that church someone who could blow the trumpets. And they got together, and the preacher said, Now listen here, I want you to come early to the church, and I want you to hide yourself somewhere, away up perhaps in the gallery. Don't be seen by anybody. Hide somewhere. Bring your trumpet, and uh, I'm going to preach on this great subject. And when I say, The trumpet shall sound... I want you to give a big blast on your trumpets. So the meeting came. And the preacher got up. And there's a man hidden somewhere in the church with his trumpet. And he announced to the congregation, I'm going to preach the night when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. And as soon as he said that, the man blew his trumpet with all his might. And you know, dear friends there were quite a few people who nearly had a heart attack because they thought it was the trumpet. The real trumpet. I thought that was very wonderful. But dear friends, one day that trumpet shall sound and it won't be the man up in the gallery. It will be the trumpet of the Lord. And what a day, glorious day, that will be. Now, i am got to warn you this evening, friends, about what I'm going to speak on. You may not agree with what I'm going to say. Because once you get into eschatology or Bible prophecy, there are a multiplicity of different viewpoints and opinions and ideas. And uh, you may not agree with what I'm going to say tonight. Well, the subject is the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Wherefore we labour that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ... That everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he have done. Whether it be good or bad. Now there are some who believe. That uh, the second coming. Of our Lord Jesus. Is in two stages. He comes for his church, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that uh, the trumpet shall sound, the voice of the archangel shall be heard, the dead in Christ shall rise, uh, those who are living shall be changed, uh, and together we shall be caught up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord comes for his church, uh, and the church is uh, taken up to meet the Lord uh, in the air. Now some believe that the second stage of his coming is when he comes with his saints to bring about the glorious 1,000 years upon the earth, reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what a day that's going to be when our blessed Lord takes the reins of government and reigns supreme upon this world of ours for 1,000 glorious years. The world has known dictatorship. It has, it knows democracy. It has never known theocracy. And what a day it will be when the Lord reigns supreme. King of kings and Lord of lords. And some believe that uh, when he comes for his saints, the rapture, there is a period of time before he comes with his saints to earth to bring about the glorious reign of 1,000 years. Now, some are not just too sure how long that's going to be between coming for his church and then coming with his church. Uh, Some would believe it would be a short time. Others would take it could be perhaps uh, seven years uh, between coming for and coming with his church. Uh, But there seems to be a period. uh, And in that period, uh, certain events are going to take place uh, in heaven as well as events taking place uh, on earth uh and there are two events that's going to take place uh, between coming for and coming with his uh, church and uh, the first one is the judgment seat uh, of Christ and then after that uh, there's going to be what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb in which the bridegroom, our wonderful Lord Jesus, is going to be, if you like, married to his his church. You and I. And what a day that's going to be. Those of us who are married, you can look back upon your big day. To me it's to me it's nearly fifty-two years. And you know, I really did look lovely on that particular day. I haired a suit. I couldn't afford one. I had to hire a suit uh, uh, for the big day. And I really did look nice. Even though I said it myself. uh, Short, dark and handsome uh, as they say. But you know, no one paid much attention to wee Stanley in his haired suit. All the attention was geared and focused on how Francis looked. That's the name of my wife, uh, how Francis looked. How beautiful she looked, how lovely she looked. And look at the dress, it's wonderful. And there's me just standing there. <laughs> but what a difference it's going to be in the marriage of the lamb. It will not be the bride, but it will be the bridegroom that shall have all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And that's going to be the great event following the judgment seat of Christ. Well, this evening, for a little time, we're going to have a look at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to ask three questions and I'm going to seek to answer the three questions. The first question is simply who will be the judge? Secondly, who will appear before him? And then, thirdly, what is the purpose of the judgment? I no doubt you have many more questions, but these are the three main questions we're going to deal with this evening. Who will be the judge? Now, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 5, The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that's the Lord's own words the father judge of no man but hath committed all judgment unto the son and as you look at the different judgment in scripture you can see that very clearly whether it's a judgment of the nations in Matthew chapter 5 the goats and the sheep and he'll separate them, we find that it is the Lord who is on that throne dealing with the nations or whether you think of the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20, the judge on that occasion will be our Lord himself. All judgment has been committed to the Son. So therefore the question is easily answered. We have it here very clearly, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He. Will be the judge. On that particular time. The one who is our saviour. The one who is our Lord. The one who is our friend. In that day. Is going to be. Our judge. When we stand. Before him. He will be sitting. On what's known as the Bema Seat, translated in our Bibles, the Judgment Seat. Really, it is the Bema Seat. Now, the Bema Seat is a very well-known expression in biblical times. It was sometimes used with regard to judgment. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? It says he sat on the Judgment Seat He sat on the Bema seat. So, therefore, it was a seat of judgment. But when Paul uses the word, he's thinking especially of the Grecian games, in which. The judge, who's judging the games, would sit on the bema seat. And it was from the bema seat that he would give rewards to those who were successful in the Grecian games. So that's the twofold use of the word bema. And we find here that our Lord Jesus will sit on the bema seat, on the judgment seat, on that great day. So he will be the judge. We ask ourselves the second question, who will appear before him? And this is made very clear in scripture. Paul says, for we must all appear. And when Paul says we, he includes ourselves and the Corinthian believers. And of course that implies That uh, the judgment seat of Christ uh, is only, exclusively, for true believers. Not just those who profess salvation, but only true believers uh, will stand before the judgment seat uh, of the Lord. It's not for the unsaved, that's a different judgment it's not for those who make up a fashion but are not genuine. It's not for those. Only those who are truly genuinely born again will be at that judgment seat of the Lord. And tonight dear friends, if you are a true Christian, born again of the Spirit, you will be there and I will be there. But those who just make up a fashion And there's no reality. They will not uh, be there. Only true believers uh, will be there. Now this brings us thoughtfully: What is the purpose uh, of uh, the judgment? Why are we going to find ourselves uh, at the judgment seat uh, of the Lord? Well, let me make one or two things very clear tonight. Uh, The sin question will not be raised. Because sometimes when people think of the judgment seat, they begin to think, oh, that means sin, my sin. No, friends, the sin question cannot be raised because it has already been dealt with at Calvary. When the Lord Jesus took your place and took my place and bore God's punishment on your behalf, God dealt with him at Calvary. And as the old hymn says, "Payment God will not twice demand. First for my bleeding, sure His hand, and again at mine. God cannot do that. If He has, if He has dealt with the substitute, your substitute in the person of Jesus, and has dealt with Him." Therefore, he would be unrighteous to punish you for sin that has already been paid for and dealt with in the person of the Lord Jesus. So, the sin question, it cannot be raised because it has already been dealt with. And how we should rejoice at that tonight. I love what the hymn says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And it would be unrighteous for God to bring it up. That is something he cannot do. God has punished the substitute for your sin and for by sin but don't, t- don't take my word for it here's what the Lord himself says John five twenty four. verily verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believes in him that sent me hath everlasting life listen to this and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death unto life that's his words that I shall not come in to judgment so why are we there at the judgment seat of Christ well for the simple reason dear friends God is going to assess your life and your service and your works from the day of your conversion on to the day either of the rapture or you die God is going to examine your life and he's going to reward you accordingly. Now there are some Christians who say, "I, uh, I don't want any reward from God I'm quite happy to serve him. It doesn't work like that friends Here's what the Bible says God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have done for his people. For God to forget your work and your service would be unrighteous for God and God can never do that. You see, dear friends, God can never act out of character. You can, but God can never act out of character. Let me illustrate this. Let me use Graham for that. You don't mind Graham, I'm going to use you anyway. Here's Graham, lovely Christian, upright citizen, but uh, he gets in a wee spot of trouble. Maybe he bothers the or somewhere. Maybe he bothers somebody, and he finds himself in trouble, and he, he ends up in court. Now, because Graham's got plenty of money, what does he do? He hires the best barrister that he can get to represent him in court. Now, this highly paid barrister by Graham will probably take this line of defence for his client. He will say, Your Honour, my client is an upright citizen of society, a good man, but on this occasion, he acted out of character. You see, he doesn't always do what he's done. Oh, no. This occasion, he acted out of character now that is something god can never do god is just he can never be unjust god is righteous he can never be unrighteous god is pure he can never be impure and god is righteous and he can never be unrighteous now you may not care about getting a reward or a crown or oh, no but god is and when God examines your life and your service, he's going to reward you for what you've done during that time as a Christian. Other people may have noticed it. They've forgotten about it. But that God, he keeps perfect records. Now, let me illustrate this in a very simple way. Have a look in your mind's eye of the courtroom. You're familiar with the courtroom. There's the judge on the bench. There's the jury in the panel. There's the prisoner in the dock. It's a very serious crime, murder. Now, can you imagine how that prisoner is feeling as he stands in the dock and he's waiting for the jury to come and give their verdict? And if they bring in a a, a guilty verdict, and if capital punishment is in vogue at that particular time, there's every possibility that man is going to be executed. You see, his person, his person is at stake. Change the scene to the Chelsea Flower Show. The Chelsea Flower Show. There you have the exhibits, the flowers, the plants, and so forth. There you have the exhibitors standing beside their exhibits, and they're there, and they're waiting for the judge to come. They tell me. Do those people who's brought the plants and the, and the flowers, do they have the same feelings that the man had in the dark? Of course not. Because at the Chelsea Flower Show, it's not the person who's at stake, it is the person's work. His flowers, his plants. And so at the Beamer seat, it's not so much your person is going to be your service and your work for him now this is going to be a very searching time dear friends and let me say this that judgement at the beaver seat will be as strictly righteous as, this, as it is at the great right throne of judgement God has to be righteous. And not only is he going to examine your works and your service, but listen to this. This is very important. He's going to scrutinize your motives. Why you've done what you've done. And sometimes we forget that, friends. In Christian service, it's not just your works and your services; it is what motivates you. Let me illustrate. Here I am tonight in, in the New Beginning Church. I can do this in one or two ways. I can do it this way. Ah, I'll try and preach a great sermon. And then afterwards, the people there will say, my, wasn't Stanley a great preacher? And wasn't that a great sermon we heard tonight? And my head's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I can hardly get through the door. Now, I'm motivated that way to make an impression, you dear folks, that you'll praise me and I'll I'll get glory and you'll think I'm wonderful. Or, secondly... I can do it for his glory. And whether you praise me or not makes no difference. I'm concerned to please him. And dear Christian, when you stand before that beaver seat, yes, all your service, all your works, all your activities will be examined. And God was the motives. Did you do it for my glory? Did you do it for my praise? And we need to be very careful that what we do for him is done for His glory. But let me say this, dear friends, Christians are going to be rewarded. But they're not all going to get the same rewards. It'll be according to their works and their motives that God will reward them. Do you think a Christian that doesn't take the time and the trouble to read his or her Bible, that doesn't take the time and the trouble to get off the backside as it were and go to a church meeting or a prayer meeting doesn't give anything to the Lord's work and service do you think that they are going to have the same reward as those who have given everything to God and service of course not, that would be unrighteous for God to do that and there are many Christians who expect to be carried to heaven on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. You see, friends, how serious this is. And here's the here's the point, friends if you lose out at the judgment seat of Christ, it it will be an eternal loss. You can't start again. Although, no. you can't start again. That is why 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches very carefully that uh, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is led, and that is Jesus Christ. You've got the foundation. But Paul says, you can build in that foundation gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. Now, what are you building with? Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble? Because Paul says, that day, it's going to be tested by fire. And you know, gold and silver and precious stones can withstand fire. But wood, hay and stubble can't. And every day you're building, I'm building on the foundation. What are you building with? Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. And Paul envisages that it's possible for a Christian that when they are examined, and all their life has been taken up and bound with wood, hay and stubble, that their works will be destroyed, yet they shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Oh, how solemn this is tonight. Gain will be eternal gain. Loss will be eternal loss. Yes, there'll be different rewards. We have intended night to go into all the different rewards. Speaks to the crowd of life, speaks to the crowd of righteousness. These are different rewards that God's going to give to his people. But you know, there's one thing I want my Lord to say to me in that day. And I'm sure you will like him to say the same to you. When he examines your work, your life, your service, your motives. Would be wonderful if he said to you and to be Well done, good and faithful servants. Oh, what a joy that would be just to hear him say it well done good and faithful servants who will be the judge the Lord himself and remember he will have all the evidence he will have all the facts and there will be no court of appeal as there is today oh no no court of appeal his word will be final he will have the last word and here's the wonderful thing that when he gives the verdict of your life and your service you will say Lord that's just dead on you can't improve upon it because he is the Lord and he's got all the facts and all the evidences who will appear before him, you will, and I will, if we're Christians saved by His wonderful grace. The purpose, not for sin, thus be dealt with. God's going to reward you for your faithfulness. You know, dear friend, sometimes I get a bit tired and wearied preaching and teaching God's word, and I've endured this for a long, long time. And sometimes, especially when you go and preach in places and you have a you have a difficult time, because it's not it's not easy preaching, not easy teaching, and sometimes it's difficult. And, and sometimes you leave a meeting downhearted and discouraged, and the old devil coming along he said, bye, you've made a mess of that tonight. You've made a mess of that. But I'm so glad that my Lord comes along. Oh yes. And he speaks into my soul. And he brings scriptures to my remembrance. And that's the benefit, dear friends, of getting the word of God in your mind so that the Holy Spirit can bring it back to your remembrance and he would maybe bring 1 Corinthians 15 the last verse therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast, unmovable always abound in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord or could be Galatians 5 let us not be weary and well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I have to, I have to remind myself that I'm not just speaking for time; I'm speaking for eternity. And God does not make up His accounts at the end of each month when he makes up his accounts nothing will be overlooked and dear Christian I want to encourage you the one sitting beside you mightn't take notice of what you're doing for the Lord that really doesn't matter the main thing is he sees it and Jesus said not even a cup of cold water given to a disciple in my name shall lose its rewards think of it cup of water. God sees it. And then you remember. I, I love this story. About the widow. Do you remember. The Lord sitting beside the treasury. And these, these great men came along. And they threw into the treasure. Plenty of money. Plenty of money. And how they must have boasted. Oh look what I have given. And then there came this. This wee widow woman. And she was two mates, Two mates, And the Lord said, come here a minute. Do you see that wee woman there? She has put in more than all those men that have cast in. Now, mathematically, that's not true. they cast in lots of money. She cast only two bites. A penny or so. But... The Lord says this: They gave of their out of their abundance. She has given all that she had, and when she gave those two bites, that was it. You see, dear friends, the Lord even observes what you give in that Alfred basket. Do you ever think of that? He's taking notice. And he knows. And he will reward you in that wonderful day. So, dear Christian, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or the next Sunday, every day you're building on the foundation. And you're either building gold, silver, or precious stones, or you're building wood, hay, Stubble. Be careful what you're building with. Make sure it stands the test on that greater day.